Hello everyone and welcome to the Seagrave Room at the Royal Automobile Club. Now it's very appropriate that we're here today because we are joined by Billy Munger and you have been awarded the 2018 Seagrave Trophy. A massive congratulations. Uh, we can see it behind you. Um, after the German Grand Prix and the trophies that were handed out on that podium, um, this one is, is a proper trophy, isn't it? It really is. It's um, surreal to, to finally see it. And um, yeah, it's just um, it's pretty stunning. Now, you've been awarded this for demonstrating exceptional courage and determination after great adversity and returning to high levels of motorsport. And I'm reliably informed you are definitely the youngest ever winner. Um, just for people watching, um, pretty much everyone will know exactly what, what, what your story is. Uh, but to let you know that those that don't know, uh, Billy was an up-and-coming uh, single-seater driver and uh, motorsport star. And then in April 2017, you had a huge crash. You lost your legs. Within eight months, you had persuaded the FIA to overturn a ban to uh, let disabled drivers race in single-seaters. Within nine months, you had tested a Formula 3 car. And within 11 months, you raced a Formula 3 car for the first time and finished on the podium. As, as a summary. So, I mean, <laughs> it's a, a remarkable story. Um, well, how's the season going at the moment? We'll start, start sort of here now and then we'll, we'll look back. So, uh, this season's been, there's been very high highs and low lows. There's been, um, after having a year of driving in British F3 and, and going through all the struggles we went through with that to, to even get the car to work properly, um, I was hoping this year would be that side of things would be easier. Normally, the first year back to racing, it took sort of three, four months from the start of trying to modify the car to get it fully modified and ready to be on a circuit. Um, so we were hoping we could make that obviously a lot less. Now we knew the, we were going to keep the system the same. Obviously, it's a different car, but the way this car has, we've had to modify it to make the systems work has been really tricky. We've had a lot of technical issues throughout the year of the throttle paddle has been our kryptonite and it's always, there's, there's always been something wrong with that. And um, it has been a, a frustrating year on that side of things. But when it's been working, we've had some high highs. I won the, the Pogue Grand Prix early in the year, which was my first ever street race and another historic event. and the first my first win since being back racing after my accident so there's definitely been some really high highs to the season so far uh, with the with the car set up the way it is is it everything done fully on hand controls i know that when alex zernardi came back to driving i think he was using his prosthetic leg to brake just through hip pressure are you are you doing any of that or is it all just hand controls no so i i use my right leg to brake and the reason i use my right leg and not my left leg like racing drivers normally would is um, down to the fact I've still got my knee joint on my right leg well my left leg my amputation is above the knee so that limits how the function I've got within that um, I don't use normal full length prosthetics because the FIA were a bit concerned that me and a single seater wearing a full length leg if something was to happen and something came into the cockpit would that then fire back up into me or something like that so we made a decision to I wear a really short prosthetic that probably ends sort of where where this sort of white one ends on what that I'm wearing now, um, and that's um, yeah how I how I operate the brake, um, and the rest of it's all on hand controls. I was going to say, is the is the feeling you get? I mean, the the sensations you get transmitted through your upper body. I mean, are, are they the same as the feelings you had before? 
Um, there's definitely a lot of similarities into in the way that I sit in the car. I sit in the same sort of position. The only thing that we have to, when we make the seat, that we have to think about is getting the right angle on my legs so that I can generate enough power from from my hip and through my knee that I'd be able to hit the brake properly. Obviously, a lot of racing drivers, the way they sit is that their legs are a lot. Obviously, their knees are slightly bent because they need a bit of power from from their quad. But most of some of their pressure comes from the ankle movement, which obviously I don't have any ankle movement in the car. So all of mine has to come through my hip muscles, my hip flexors, my my quads. Um, so there's a lot of the muscles that I'm using and the way that I, the, the areas I have to be strong in to drive the car are different to the other drivers. But... So there are things like that we have to take into consideration. Um, but I fundamentally, fundamentally, the way that I drive the car and the way that I operate it is, well, yeah, if from the outside you wouldn't be able to tell a difference between me and any of the other guys racing. It's only if you knew who was in the car and what my situation was that you'd know what was going on was different. So I've... I've occasionally tried left foot braking in a road car and I either nearly crash into the car in front or I'd stop dead on the road because I've got literally no control <laughs> through my, through, you know, having a years of breaking my right leg. But when you did the test with Carlin and your kind of first time back in a single seat, obviously you'd, you'd used the sim before then. How, how was the kind of the, the change over there? Because it must have been so difficult, you know, not just starting to brake with, an, with another leg, but without the, the feel because braking is all about feel isn't it yeah yeah and that was it was tricky the first there was a lot i say there was four months to get the car adapted there was easily three three months and then probably that some of those some of that time cut into the build time itself probably i'd say there was five months at least of me going to the factory doing simulator work figuring out okay we we could at first, um, when I first used the simulator and started driving on the sim again, just for a bit of fun, um, just because Carlin offered me the, the opportunity to, um, it was all done on hand controls. I was braking with my hands on a little paddle on my hands. I was doing throttle, I was doing gears, and it was all very complicated, a little bit too much. The, the feeling that I had with braking through my hands was completely different to braking with, with my legs. So it was I was locking up all the time on the sim, and it was like... It was pretty terrible to start off with. I was crashing left, right and centre. So when I my legs recovered enough that I'd be able to to use my um to to try using my leg to brake. Um and at first um I tried without wearing any prosthetics, so just breaking purely on the bone and the skin at the bottom of my leg. So like just the bottom part of my stump, I tried breaking on that. Really painful, couldn't hit hardly any brake pressure, and then Slowly but surely, I added my liner back on, tried that a little bit better, and then it got to a stage where basically a leg like this was what I was wearing at the time. And the team were like, maybe we should just try with your leg on. They like unbolted the bottom half of my leg, took the bottom half of my leg off, which is something that, well, I don't think the prosthetic people were very happy with us. <laughs> we started unbolting legs and then trying to put them back together and not put the foot on the wrong way round. And it was um, that side of thing. It was quite funny at the time trying to make all that happen. But when I started using just the, the socket, it was like a flat bottomed socket. It seemed to work a lot better. I could generate... I think at the, that time it was. I was probably hitting forty percent of the pressure that I needed to hit in five months' time when I started the season. So it's still a long, long way to go to get it to the stage where I could break efe efficiently and 
I could be quick because if you can't brake in a in a racing car, you're kind of um, you're not looking good from there off. Um, something that uh, you know, kind of I suppose a small little fact that uh, goes some way to explaining you know why you've won this trophy. Um, I think it was two days after you got fitted with legs for the first time. You then did an air ambulance charity walk at Brands Hatch. And for those that don't know, you know, a lot of people will have seen the BBC documentary. Getting a new pair of legs, it's almost impossible for them A, to be comfortable, B, to kind of get used to them. But within two days, you're off kind of heroing the guys that rescued you after that accident. I mean, amazing. Um, what I wanted to ask was, after the accident, how soon was it before you started thinking about racing again? So racing, obviously, at, when I first had my accident, I was in an induced coma. I came out of that. I was on a lot of medication and drugs because of the pain I was going through and, and to, to reduce that as much as possible. So as much as I'm a racing driver, um, there was, I don't remember particularly in the first week or t probably the first week and a half thinking about racing at all. Apparently, when I came out of my induced coma and when I was still really on a lot of medication, so I don't actually remember this myself, but my, my mum gave me, I asked for a bit of paper to write something on and my mum gave me a piece of paper and a pen and apparently I scribbled down in some terrible handwriting because I wasn't really with it. I, I put who won the race. That was my, <laughs> that was my, the first point I made. And it just sounds so stupid now to think that that was what I was, where my head was at. It was who won the race? Like, because I, I didn't remember and I, any, any of that stuff. Um, so yeah, that, it, it sounds so stupid now, but that's generally apparently what I was asking since I came out. And the real talk about racing probably started when all, all my family and friends and like the, the team, obviously the, they took me to the local hospital from Donington. They took me to Queen's Medical Center in Nottingham, which is where all my, my operations were done. And all my, um, I spent, I think just over a month in, in hospital um, and I, my room was always full of people from the engineers, my mechanics, um, other racing drivers that I was friends with that would come down and see me. And um, yeah, so my room was always busy. And eventually when you have that many people that love racing in the same room, racing comes up and it just went from there really. What was, what was tougher? Actually reacclimatizing to driving a single seater again or persuading the FIA they should be, that you should be allowed to drive a single seater again? Um, it was definitely acclimatizing to driving a single seater. The challenge that was there is something that we had no reference to go off of. We have people like Alex Zanardi who's raced in very similar injuries to me, but he'd only ever really done it in a GT car. So I had to convince the FIA that I was going to be safe to, to drive a single seater and um, I had to convince the team that I was going to be quick enough because the Carlin are a top top team and they as much as they were amazing and they supported everything I did they obviously wanted me to be competitive they didn't want me to they they didn't want to just run me and I didn't want to just be out there if I unless I was going to be able to go back and actually be a racing driver and not just this guy that's had this terrible accident and then he's out there giving it his best I wanted to do well as well that's just that I'm a competitive guy um so that there was lots of um, lots of stuff involved in, in making sure that we were going to be quick and we did 
uh, we did a fair amount of testing before the start of the season. I think we got the car ready in February and the start of the season was, was April. So we had probably, I think, between eight and ten days in the car before the start of the season, which for me, um, before Max, I never had that opportunity to test because we didn't have the budget to do that. I would normally do the media day at the start of the season and when I was in F4 and that would be a sort of my test for the first round and then apart from then it was normally Friday practices so it was a, it was strange to be out in the car more regularly than I would have been given before my accident. The, um, just for the benefit of people who probably don't know I mean the, there are very strict regulations with the FIA about the time it takes a driver in the event of an accident to get in and out of a car is it four or five seconds doesn't mean you have to be able to clear the cockpit yeah so you can, you can do that okay without any yeah i'm actually quicker than which, which puts us to shame there is yeah, no actually. way that we would get <laughs> we would i struggle with an indoor car now yeah that was it was a it was a concern um i from we did me and the team had a little go at it here and there very briefly we're like more than right actually attempting to get out in five seconds we were more thinking okay what how would be what would be like the strategy kind of what because obviously I'm in a different situation. I haven't got legs on in the car. I can't stand up in the seat and then jump out. It was like, how are you gonna use, like, how are you gonna use your situation to your advantage? Because getting out of a car and not having, just not being able to stand up in a seat and jump out, there's obviously a disadvantage that comes through that. But there is an advantage in the fact that I don't wear my full length legs in the car. So on this leg, I don't wear any prosthetic at all. So it, my leg finishes above my knee. And on this side, my leg is obviously a shorter racing leg that finishes sort of at the bottom of my, my socket. Um, and what we realized quite early on was that getting out of the car wouldn't be that hard because unlike the other drivers that would have to take the steering wheel off, lift their legs from underneath, then put the wheel back on and jump out, I didn't have to take the wheel off to get out of the car. I could slide my legs underneath, stand up, on, on one leg on my racing leg and then use my upper body strength which is something that I developed a lot after my accident from spending a lot of time in a wheelchair and, and, and having a go at other sports that I did before I got back to racing like wheelchair tennis and stuff like this and and um, some cycling stuff. Um, yeah, it kind of went from there and uh, eventually I managed, I think I'm, I could get out probably in a, a couple of seconds now, two or three seconds which is uh, quicker than I could have done it before. <laughs> Amazing. Now. I think, I suppose, you know, your story is also an amazing example of how great the motorsport community is. Um, and from, you know, the money that was raised after your accident uh, from the motorsport community all the way through to a standing ovation at the FIA prize giving. Um, Lewis Hamilton is obviously a huge supporter and he was one of your childhood heroes. Um, just talk me through some of the reaction kind of from, from the motorsport community. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, like I say, I went into, they put me into an induced coma at the circuit. I had, I think it was three or four days that I spent in an induced coma. I woke up on, or they, they took me out of the coma on a Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday evening after the weekend. And whilst all of this was going on, for me, I felt like I had a long, long sleep, bit of a snooze. Um, all of this crazy amount of support was coming in. My, my mum and my dad were probably overwhelmed with it all to be honest because for them it was a tough situation and it was um, the team manager that uh, who owned the team I was driving for and a friend from racing that set up this GoFundMe page that then went viral and loads of people from the motorsport community were donating and and yeah I, all of this was when I woke up it was kind of like 
okay, whatever. Like, it, I didn't really believe that, that all of that was going on. And I, obviously, I was more concerned about what was going on with me. And then, obviously, spending 24 hours a day in hospital, in bed, eventually, as a young person, you end up on your phone and you see all these messages of support and all these people that are donating money to you and wishing you the best. And most of them I've never met before in my life. And it's like, is this really happening? Is this like, it just felt so, so surreal. Um, but incredible at the same time, like it gave me so much joy and happiness seeing all the messages of support that were coming in. And a lot, so many people that I've never met before were like messaging me saying, we really hope you go, you get better and you get back out racing again. Um, and it was just like, wow, like the people can be so amazing if like all this, like, there's so many, everyone in the news wants to talk about how all the negative stuff that's happening. But for me, I've the way people came together for me, I've, it was just, just like, um, and yeah, so surreal, incredible. <laughs> Target one became getting yourself back into a racing car, but what's the sort of the end game? And how far do you want to try and go? Well, the reason I came back to racing is one because I missed it because I love racing so much, and two because it's kind of who I am. Everyone who's involved in motorsport kind of knows that once you get sucked into motorsport, it's like um, it's like, it's like its own little bubble, and you'd never want to leave it. Um, you want to stay in it as much as, as long as you can, and having had the crazy two, two and a bit years that I've had now and to be where I am, I never thought I'd be, I never really knew if I'd be racing again, let alone going on and winning the Pogon Prix and winning, winning races again. Um, so as much as it's easy for me to sit here and say, and say I'd love to be in Formula One, the truth is the way my sort of, my, the last few years have been progressing. I have no idea what's going to happen or where I'm going to end up or what I'm going to end up doing, but I know that I'm going to continue to enjoy racing and and it's a passion of mine and I want to, I w I'd love to be in Formula One. I'd love to be a world champion. I'd love to, for, to continue my story in that way. But the truth is life is crazy and I have no idea where I'm going to end up, but I'm just going to, keep on driving and doing the best I can. Um, and that's kind of all I can do really, isn't it? Well, whether it's in GTs, touring cars, whatever it might be, you just enjoy racing for a sense. Yeah, I mean, Formula One has always been my passion. It's always been what, where from when I started go-karting, I'd watch Formula One with my dad. That was like our sort of weekend. We'd like, if I wasn't racing myself, we'd be at home, we'd watch the qualifying, we'd watch the, the race, we'd cheer on. I remember me and my dad jumping up in the living room celebrating when Lewis Hamilton won his first world championship in that crazy race at, at Brazil. Brazil on the last corner. There's just, for me, there's so many memories attached to Formula One and that kind of, and like I say, motorsport is very different in that only really Formula One drivers get the credit they deserve, I'd say, um, in motorsport. You, unless you're involved in motorsport from the outside world, a lot of people don't really know many touring car drivers or many DTM drivers or people that have won Le Mans. It's, it's very weird in that sense that a lot of recognition goes to the Formula One guys, unless you're involved in motorsport, in which case you know how incredible all these racing drivers are. Um, but yeah, Formula One for me is still where I, I see myself 
going and where, where I'd love to get to. But I'm definitely not ruling any of that other stuff out because I love motorsport and racing at Le Mans or being in touring cars or anything like that. I wouldn't, if as long as I was happy doing it, I wouldn't see it as being like a, I didn't achieve my target and it's sort of like a, uh, that I'll settle for for a drive at Le Mans or anything like that. Of I, I wouldn't, I don't take motorsport for granted. I don't take what I'm able to go out and do as take it for granted. So if I can go out there and and race against some of the best guys in the world at these the best circuits in the world and enjoy it while I'm doing it, then that's really all it's about for me. Before we, we are on a very tight time schedule, so the fact that I'm looking at my watch is, is the only reason why is because you need to go off to your winner's lunch. I wanted to talk about the Seagrave Trophy. Um, I'm just going to read out some names from, these are winners from recent years, not even going back um, to, you know, to, to 1930. Lewis Hamilton, Adrian Newey, John Surtees, John McGuinness, Jackie Stewart, Sterling Moss, Colin McRae, Nigel Mansell. Um, how, how does it feel to win it? Like I've I've said before, um, recently, I've had it's just so surreal. The last six weeks for me, I've been in five different countries. I've done three races myself. I've been at three Formula One weekends, and to be honest, I kind of feel a bit guilty in some ways because I've kind of come here today for this amazing, incredible award, and I've not had time to really process how incredible and how how amazing it is to even be here in the first place let alone to win such an incredible award um so i'm really going to use today and take it all in but the, the names you're reading off that list they're motorsport icons they're they're legends of the sport and the fact that i'm even getting this award let alone i'm going to be on it with all these incredible names it's just um it's something that i'll never forget and this yeah it's um I've I've had I've been given a lot of awards after my accident and and it's just I still have to pinch myself sometimes because in some ways I just see I still I still see myself as being uh, a 20 year old racing driver looking to get to Formula One but obviously for for different people it seems like I have um, they're inspired by my story and they they're so incredibly they're so amazed people seem to be so amazed of what i'm able to do and i sometimes i find it a bit weird because i'm like i'm just a racing driver at heart that's kind of that's what i am um and although i've been able to i've had all these incredible opportunities and i've met amazing people and and done charity stuff for charity for to race with the air ambulance it's all stuff that i've wanted to do because that's the person i am not because i'm trying to impress anyone that I'm quite, I'm quite a, I keep myself to myself. I'm not an out, like, outgoing person. I'm kind of, I've got a close-knit group of family and friends um, that I, I try and see all the time. And that in the last six weeks, I've barely, I've been at home three days. I've not had, a, I've barely had a chance to, to even catch mum and dad for a, for a chat or, and it's just like, it is, my life is very crazy in that sense, but I'm still just at the end of the day, a normal 20 year old racing driver looking to win races and uh, hopefully hopefully win win a world championship at some point, that'd be nice. Um, I think what, from the outside, I think one of the amazing things about your story is that, is that you don't realize it's amazing. And I think that it's a very humbling experience. Um, one of the, obviously the things that have kind of just, has happened since your accident is Lewis Hamilton has been obviously very supportive from uh, from the outside he can sometimes seem 
quite closed as a person. And, you know, he's sometimes uh, sort of quite difficult to get a hold of and if you're a media or something like that. But actually, underneath it is obviously a very caring, supportive guy. I'd say I'm quite similar to him in some ways. Um, like, when I'm away from racing, I like to to be away from racing because you don't get that opportunity very often, especially if you're Lewis Hamilton. I mean, I can't, I think I'm busy with doing media stuff. I imagine he's, the amount of commitments he's got, he must live this crazy life. And then it's, everyone wants to be able to go home and switch off from stuff. And it can, I imagine it can be frustrating for people like Lewis when they go home and they've still got media trying to get hold of them and, and lots of things. And he, he, for me, to me, he's just been an amazing friend and a, a really a great person to, to have supporting me in my journey. I've, I've spent a, a li- uh, as I say, I've spent a lot of time with him, a lot of time considering how, how busy a person he is. He's made a lot of time for me. Um, and yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say about him. And it's, it's always going to be difficult for someone like Lewis. He's got the, the, the hopes of a nation on his shoulders when it comes to motorsport. He is, he's the guy who everyone expects every weekend to go out there and win it. And when he doesn't, it's like, what's happened to, to Lewis Hamilton? Um, but yeah. The fact that I'm even winning an award, he's won. Yeah, sometimes I do feel guilty because I've not got my world championship yet to to go along <laughs> to go along with it. So I feel like I need to 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 go ahead and and get try and get my, do my best to get that first, and then maybe I feel a little bit more more ease with the fact that people were seeing me and get, awarding me such incredible things like the the Seagrave Trophy. I don't know whether you're aware of it of it at the time. You talk about not winning the world championship yet, but um, were you aware of the effect that uh, your victory in Poe had on your Carlin team? Because I was chatting to Trevor Carlin, your team boss, not long ago, and he said that they'd just gone through the crushing disappointment of having two of the three cars fail to win the Indianapolis 500. And he said he was sitting in the truck at Indy watching a live YouTube feed of you leading in Poe. And he said the way the weekend had gone, he was just expecting it to di- disappear into a tyre wall at any second, but and the changeable conditions and different tyres and all the rest of it. And you just kept on going and going. And he said that was such an uplifting thing for for him at the time, just after, in the in the slipstream of the disappointment at Indianapolis for you to win in that manner. Were you aware, were you aware of the effect it was having on the team? Obviously, I'd, I'd kept an eye on how the team was doing and I saw that it was not going to plan and um, funny enough as soon as I came straight out of the car I was meeting all the team and my the team boss of Euroformer this year a guy called Gaz he um, handed me the phone and said I think someone wants to talk to you and I went okay <laughs> but at this point I'm still celebrating with everyone because we've just inc- we've just achieved a first of its own and winning a winning me winning a race after my accident and after having to overturn a rule to then beat everyone it would given those circumstances and, and at Poe of all places which is one of the most challenging circuits and in Europe Poe, it's, yeah. it was such an incredible experience Poe I've never I've never done a street circuit before we had two half hour sessions in the wet and then our qualifying was in the dry uh, it was just like so surreal it was, but it was awesome at the same time so anyway Trev was on the phone and he and he was just like in awe. He said, "You are amazing." Like he said, "I'm so proud of of what we've managed to achieve, and uh, hopefully, there's many more to come." And I was just so thankful because with with it takes a lot of bravery and courage for someone like Trev to to do what they do and f- what they've done for me in terms of taking me under their wing, 
getting him me in a race car in the first place because I don't think there's I, to be honest I don't know if there's any other team out there that given my accident and given my profile would have felt comfortable in converting a car for me in case something had gone wrong or it there would have been a lot of there was a lot of media around it and my comeback I got a podium and that is as much as I'd like to say well yeah I'm a good racing driver <laughs> there is all of the credit in that situation goes to the Carlin team and Trev in particular because without them making that brave decision to to back me when no one else would back me when I was I was not racing and everyone it's it's like a it's there's a lot of cost as well that goes into converting a car to me it's not as simple as going yeah we'll run Billy doing a few little modifications and then sending me out of my way it's a commitment it was a it's a three month four month project where you've got a group of guys that aren't doing stuff that they probably should be doing because they're working on making this car work for me and obviously all of this goes towards the fact that they want me to do well which is I couldn't ask for a team that any a better team in that sense because that's what you need behind you. You need a group of guys that are dedicated and want you to do as well as you want yourself to do. Um, and Carlin as a team have been amazing for me. Oh, and what a wonderful note to end on. I'm afraid we are out of time. Simon, now we're half an hour in and at the end, I should introduce you. Yes, to Simon you should Aaron probably. For, as the features editor of Motorsport <laughs> magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Alan Hyde, thank you very much for doing all the sound and the video. Billy, it has been an amazing, humbling experience. Um, congratulations on a hugely deserved Seagrave trophy. I think you've got a couple it more is interviews. Huge. <laughs> <laughs> it's enormous. Um, I don't yeah. think you're allowed to take it home, though, are you? I don't <laughs> think so. I think you've got a couple more interviews, but then you do have your winner's lunch, so enjoy that. But thank you so much, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank, thank you. you yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next month. Bye-bye.